I think that's just like the runner community too. Like I, I'm very fond of the runners I've met. I think, you know, of course there's so much heterogeneity in any group, but I would say these are people who aren't putting on a whole lot of makeup. They're going out and they're working hard. There's a lot of like therapy that we get on our long runs you know, um, you're so tired that you just kind of got to give it up. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. That's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today um, has a mouthful of things, so I'm going to try to get all, all of them through without making a mistake, but I probably will, so excuse me. Um, she's a Martha Henry Malcolm Lovett Chair of Psychology, Professor of Management at Rice. She's been there for 22 years now, um, so I'm sure she's got lots and lots of stories. Um, she told me she's won numerous teaching awards for being there, so many um, that Rice had to retire her from winning awards. Uh, she's the only faculty member of Rice to give a commencement address at Rice, which is pretty notable if you know anything about the school. Uh, she's run a marathon in all 50 U.S. states as well as every continent. Um, got three, at least three teenagers at home, other kids, grandkids, and her father is one of 17 children, so there's lots going on. Welcome to the show, Michelle Hebel. Thank you. Nice to be here. Michelle, the one thing I forgot to ask you was how to do, say your last name before we got going, and I was like, ah, darn it, I forgot. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's Mickey, and it's Hebel. Evil. But, but I'm okay if, like, whatever, I'm good. You don't have to, if, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's one of those things I, I try to be, we, like we got, before we got going, as you said, and as I said, we're both talkers. So then we, <laughs> we started going down all these rabbit holes and I get distracted off of no uh, worries. making sure all the little details are in place. Before that was really good, by the way, you got it all. And it, I was like, <laughs> hey, that girl sounds interesting. So that's fine. Hey, well, that's you. You're just living your life. You were telling me um, about your 50th birthday party. Sorry to, to dox you on your age, I guess, a little bit. But you were telling me about your birthday party, and you invited uh, 50 badass women over. Um, so you were telling me a little bit about the guests that you had. Okay. So I want to do something really big and bad for my 50th. And I, I thought about what that was. And I thought, well, being a feminist and being like having gal pals is just something that is really been part of my life. And so I invited, I actually invited 64 women hoping that I would get 50 uh, women to a place, to a house for a weekend. Now the question is where in the world can you get a house that sleeps for the weekend? 50 women, and I will tell you, 57 of them out of 64 came, so it was a really good yield, and we did it warehouse, we did it in Vegas, and I will tell you, we only spent um, a, an hour at the casino, mm -hmm. but what we did was we just had 
um, inspirational speeches by some of these women who are just so profoundly amazing. Uh, they look like anything that I've done is just boring and run of the mill. Uh, one's in the Guinness Book World of Records. One has um, a patent. Um, one has done base camp at Mount Everest. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And they're just wonderful people. And we got together for three days and really enjoyed each other's company. And we, we had massages. We went hiking in Red Rock. Uh, we had crafts that were really fun. We had a lot of laughs. We had karaoke. And it was really a celebration of kind of gal power. Where, so where did you meet all of these women, I guess? Um, so the women were, I have to tell you, this was one of the, I think, aside from like the births of my children and my wedding, this was probably the best like weekend of my life. And they were women who I have known since grade school all the way to people I met over the last two years. And they just were, they had one thing in common. They were all badasses, which I hope we can say. No, um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> okay, okay. They just are people who don't try to, they're what I call power gals. You know, they don't try to one out you, one up you. They really are about <clears throat> um, sharing the spotlight and making sure, like I have this analogy with running. Sometimes you run with people and they try to be one step ahead of you or they're really aware of where they are in relationship to you. And there's some people you run with and they, you're just talking so much, you're really not even aware. And you know that you've just run five, 10 miles and you've forgotten all about the distance because you're so into the conversation that the gal pal makes you stronger. And I would just say that metaphorically is what all of these women were, are. Yeah, it's, it's always interesting when you find that dynamic. I feel like, and you especially probably know, you know, observationally more about this. I think about kind of U.S. culture and like how competitively are, but it's like we all have the ability to lift each other up. Like I, I feel like there's this idea that things have to be a zero-sum game, and they're, they really don't have to be a zero sum game at all. Like just because I win doesn't mean you have to lose. Like we can both win. I couldn't agree with you more. And that really connects to something you mentioned about me with, which is my dad has had 16 brothers and sisters. And so our family get togethers. Um, I remember we wouldn't sit at a little table. We'd sit at the ping pong table and there is always room for one more. And it's just kind of a philosophy I have, which is it's not a zero sum game. Let's, you know, and, and something I teach when I teach um, executive MBAs about diversity is lift when you climb, you know, like there's, we need the next generation. We want the next generation to be better and stronger. And we want to see that connection through the generations too. The fun thing was, the uh, people who came to the party, the women were aged 26 to 75. So it was also a, a, a cross-generational thing too. But yeah, I do really feel like it's not a zero sum. And it's just, the world is happier when you know people have your back and when, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're doing it together. I, I wish I could remember what guest I spoke, spoke about with this about, um, it's 
I get a little esoteric sometimes, but I think you're the right person to do it with. I think about the, sometimes the, I guess, purpose of humanity, which is a little heady, but I, I think about it you know, along the lines of not being a zero-sum game, about thinking that if we have a purpose that creation is it, creating something, and along the lines of that, you know, you mentioned building up the next generation or building up each other. Like that vocabulary is very purposeful in what it means to say, I'm building you up. Like you're helping create uh, both the conditions and potentially, uh, you know, the influence on somebody to be something greater than they are now. So I guess sometimes when I think, or I guess when I'm hopeful or trying to be optimistic, that's what I think about is like, you know, humanity as a, a creative force for good in the world. Obviously, it's more complicated than that. Um, but just when, when I get that optimistic side going, that's kind of where I start to head. <laughs> well, I, I just say two things about that, too, is one, it, I went to uh, an all-women's college, Smith College in, in Northampton, Massachusetts. And after studying there for four years, I really gained an identity about gender and about the things that pioneering women and men had done to enable me to have the rights that I have. And so for me, giving back and ensuring that the next generation has even more rights than we have uh, is something that I chose to study and do my research on. And, and that's easy to extend that also to race and to other stigmatized groups that don't have as much access and then I would just, so that's been like one of my life goals is mm -hmm. to make the future a better place for people who haven't, who have had um, disadvantages in the past. But the other thing is, is just, it's really hard not to think about humanity right now as we're going through COVID and thinking about all the people who are suffering and how we can help and what are we doing to help. And yes, there's big things we can do to help. We can give lots of money. We can do science. We can do, but for the average, you know, and I've often heard there's the gifts of time, treasure, and talent. But the other things we can do is we can act in our local communities too. So whether it's putting a, a sign that says, you know, um, we believe in love and you're welcome here as neighbors, or whether it's, you know, reminding people in a positive way to wear their masks or to, you know, um, really think about just giving a hello to people or writing and encouraging people or doing some service project. You know, I like to say, I think there's eight good people in the world for every two bad people. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's, I don't know, other people might have differences. So my strategy is to find the eight good people and get away from the two bad people and to try to spread that joy as much as possible because life really is short. And I think we all need to think about how we leave the, the world a better place than, it's like borrowing something. When you borrow something from a friend, you hopefully return it in as good of condition, if not better. Yeah, well, thinking about your, your eight and two, so it's a, the, the Pareto principle, 80-20, right? And, and that, so I'm, uh, one of my undergrad majors was math, so I'm a kind of a numbers guy. So I love the Pareto principle and it really shows up everywhere so you're probably correct to say it's something like that you know whether that's the exact number okay but there's probably something like that um but you know you so you mentioned like just saying hello or you know kind of small acts of kindness 
And I, there are days I wonder about that. Um, it, this isn't to like pat myself on the back, but just like, so there's a running trail near me and like oh, I ride my bike, I go through, I go through a whole cross section of um, socioeconomic neighborhoods. And it, like, it doesn't matter where I am, if the opportunity arrives, usually just you wave or you say hi or whatever. And I know there have been times myself when I'm, you know, mad or upset or whatever, like just not in the best mood. Maybe I'm out for a run and somebody says hello and it, it kind of takes the edge off. You know, you're in your own head in this own little like spinning vortex and then somebody says hello and it, it's just the simplest little thing. And they're not trying to get into your world and be like, smile and be happy. They're just saying hello. It's just a tiny thing. So I wonder sometimes, or I try to remind myself when I say hello, I, I wonder about those people and I think about how is their day going? You know, does, does it matter? You know, those kind of things. Um, it's cause it matters to me when people say hello, but I can't really ever, I'm only me. I can't really know that it matters to them. They're just strangers to me, you know? Yeah, I'd just say to that, like, whenever I sort of teach a class or whenever I have meetings with my graduate students, you know, I think about models that I had and sometimes, you know, it was like, get right to the work and what do you have for me? And I always stop and say, okay, how are we doing? Like, how are you doing? Like, you try to get to class a little bit early and say, how are you doing? How are you doing today? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think we really need that in these times is that human connection because we don't know what people are going through. You know, we don't know, uh, have they been furloughed? Do they have children whose school has been called off and now they're trying to figure out how to, you know, how to work their job and still have their child at home. Um, We don't know about people who don't have enough money to put groceries in their cupboard. We just, we don't know what's behind the facade of the people we meet and the act of human kindness really can go a long way and just sharing that and doing what we can. It, it makes me wonder sometimes how, like I mentioned earlier, how we, at least in kind of North American U S culture, how we've gotten to be so individualistic. I mean, there's, there's something to be said, especially it comes up in sports, obviously where it's like, especially in a sport like running or, you know, individual efforts where it's like you are in control of your destiny. If you work hard, you'll succeed. But it's, I also think about, you know, no man is an island, right? Like we don't, it, it would be incredibly rare. Just let's take an athlete as an example, a runner. It would be incredibly rare for a runner to go all the way from say they just start running when they're young to the Olympics never having been coached, never having anybody drive them anywhere, never like having no input from anybody else ever. It it would just be incredibly rare. Yet at the same time, we seem to forget that there's all of these inputs from all the people around us. So maybe, you know, our our athlete, they're the ones out running the laps, but you know, their, their spouse or their mother, depending on their age, father, whoever, sister, brother, somebody else is making dinner you know, somebody else is getting this ready for them. And there's this whole support system around them. Yet we idolize uh, that, you know, person or that image of that person as this thing 
to strive for and for almost seem to forget about everybody that helped lift them up. Yeah, I think we live in an individualistic country where the focus is on the individual. So if you look at some Asian countries, it's very different where mm. it's very much a focus on the we sort of aspect. But you're right, like if you have children, you know, one of the early decisions you kind of like have to figure out is what are you going to sign your child up for, right? And you know, there's sort of different philosophies. There's like, let's expose the child to a lot of different things. Let's expose the child to something and see if they have like a real penchant for it. And if they do, which, you know, most kids have a penchant for something, then it's like, well, how much do you push it? And, you know, if you push it, then that means lessons and a lot of time. And the more time, you know, the Chicksamahali says 10,000 hours that at something will make you an expert. And so if you give the child enough lessons, you know, I mean, so yes, there's so much. And then of course, even if you do all that, they're still often not good enough to compete at that highest level. But yeah, there sure is a whole team behind every individual um, success, isn't there? Yeah. So thinking about that, um, I want to talk about your, uh, I'll say marathon endeavors or adventures um, to run marathons in all the 50 states and now every continent. Um, I'm assuming there's probably a team that goes along with that whole journey as well. Yeah, so when I first got to Houston, this was 22 years ago, right? Um, I had done, I think, three marathons, four marathons maybe. And I joined this running club and it's actually where I met my husband. And I was talking to the head of the club on a, a short run, and, and there was a guy on my left. It was the, the head of the club, John Phillips, and there was a guy on my right-hand side. And I was kind of feeling big and bold because I'd run whatever it was, four marathons. And I said to the guy on the left, how many have you done? And he said something like 35. And I was like, what? And he goes, 35. And I go, well, how many have you done? To the other guy, and he goes, I don't count anymore. And I was like, you have, I mean, no. So then very uh, soon after that, I tried, I really wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And I'll just tell you, I did that. And after I did that, I realized, okay, I can get a faster time and I can keep getting a faster time, but um, it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to be really painful. And it's like, I'm gonna get a couple more minutes faster. And so somebody in the club um, had talked, told me about this guy who was, his name is Steve Boone. And he's this crazy, wonderful man from north of Houston who started the All 50 States Club. And I thought, wow, that's such an amazing thing. And, and these four states that I had were all in different states. These, all, these four marathons I had done were all in four different states and I thought, what do you have to do to join that? Well, you had to get 10 different states. And so I thought, well, that's a good goal. Like maybe I could do that and then <clears throat> spend the rest of my life traveling to these different states and trying to see the states and run marathons. And so there is a group with that. And a lot of times, you know, you would link up and see who else is running in these states that, I'm go that you're going to. 
And then there were also always students. So I did do them sometimes by myself, but a lot of times I did them with another person, whether it was a colleague, a student, or somebody from the 50 States Club, or my husband. Right, do you, so do you end up, um, is it just that you're both at the starting line at the same time, or do you end up finding people where you're of a similar pace? Um, so running a marathon is kind of a hard thing because running, running, running a marathon is a really hard thing to begin with. And anybody who finishes a marathon and gets any sort of time, I, my hat is off to them because every time I had a baby, which is three times, I had to stop running. And then I think Bill Rogers, the marathon, Boston marathon runner winner said, it's a lot easier to stay in shape than it is to get back into shape. And with all three of my babies, you know, like you're looking at somebody who's lost over a hundred pounds, if you count all of the three different, you know, and every time I had to start running that first mile again, I was like, holy shit, one mile is a long, long way. <laughs> okay. Um, so what I would say about running a marathon is a marathon's hard. Running a marathon with another person the whole way is also really hard because you're not, it's very rare that you find two people running at the same pace that's comfortable at all points in the marathon at the same time. That said, I have run a lot of marathons with a person side by side. Usually it's the case when I do that, that I am the stronger runner helping somebody who is a first time runner through that. That's not always been the case. I have a gal who is such a good runner. Her name is Malia and on a couple marathons, she's called me the night before and she said, where's your race? Can I go too? And she runs it right next to me with like talking the whole time. And I'm like, you are so amazing. You know, so there's been times where I've also said, you need to go ahead now, or we'll go to the race and I'll say, okay, here's our different plans. We'll see you at the end. Yeah, that's, I was just curious, just since it seems like you're kind of bringing together a, a bunch of, I'll say random people, obviously not random entirely, but just, you know, even with like when I ran in college, you know, we all trained together, but even for, uh, you know, 8K, 10K, 5K, we're, you know, we're going to be at disparate speeds at different times yes. and racing this, you know, you know, maybe I'm ahead this time and then another guy catches up and passes me and just different parts, you know, different parts of the course suit us differently. One guy's good at hills, the other one's better at flats. Like, so I was just curious whether you actually found people that it's like, hey, we're going to go the whole way. Um, I've not done a marathon, you know, since I ended up specializing in triathlons, um, similar kind of time frame, but um, you know, not done the, the marathon by itself. So I just didn't know, you know, if, if you could find a close enough grouping to have somebody yeah. stuck with you the whole way. So there's two more things to say about that. One is if you know the time you're going to do, then in almost all of the marathons, they have like somebody who is a pacer group. And right. so you can stick with that group. And that's really nice. I've done that a few times and it's really have been helpful. I will say that it's really depressing when you lose your pacer group at the end and a marathon is so hard. 
So I have a graduate student. Uh, she just graduated. She's now a professor. Uh, her name's Abby, and we've run about four or five together, and we've run them always side by side. And there have been times where I bonked, and there have been times where she's bonked, and we've stayed together. And probably on those different races, there are times where she could have gone ahead and finished well before me and vice versa. But for us, it was like um, the fact that we could finish 15 minutes before the other person at best wasn't worth the four hours of enjoyment that we had running together. And as most marathoners know, there's kind of like the first 21 miles Mm-hmm. And that's one thing. And then there's the last five miles. <laughs> the last five miles is so awful <laughs> in some races that to have your buddy there is to just really have a wonderful experience. And that's to me why I have really enjoyed running marathons with first timers because I know that they're going to be happy and like wonderfully like motivated for the first 21 miles. And then the last five miles, they go, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this isn't fun. <laughs> and that's where it's like, yes, it is. We can, we can stop, massage your legs, and then let's keep moving. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, then, and that's been fun to do with, uh, I would say, probably eight or nine people. Yeah, well, it seems like everybody talks about the wall at some point. You at 21. I've heard 23 before. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that it seems to be, you know, I wonder whether it's how much is physiological and how much is psychological now, because it's such a thing, you know, people talk about yeah. it, everybody knows about it. So it's like, and there's that, you know, there's the thing with your mind where it's like, I'm sure you've had races where you finish and you're like, once you stop, you absolutely cannot get going. Like you just, you're done versus if you had kept running, you probably could have kept going for a while because your mind tells you you can go. So is that that interesting thing that your brain does to continue, you know, keep you in motion? So I, I wonder, I don't even know how, the, the, I feel like it would be almost impossible to figure out how to study this, but just I wonder what the split is in terms of people actually, you know, bonking versus psychologically hitting a wall at that point. Yeah, well... I will tell you there are marathons where I feel like I bonked at mile seven. (laughs) And then there are marathons where I feel really good at the end. And I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with your fitness, the course, the day of, what you ate. And of course, there is the physiological, the aerobic and anaerobic threshold of how far you push yourself and what you're burning and whether you start burning, you know, like there is really something to it um, Mm. physiologically. Uh, I would say, but I also think there are races where I remember there was a race in Indiana and it was on the Notre Dame, it it ended on the Notre Dame 50 yard line. And I was like, what? It ends on the Notre Dame 50 yard line? I said to my husband and my friend Malia, I said, when I get to the 50 yard line, they throw you a, a football and you get to run with it the last like 10 yards. I'm like, I'm going to chant Rudy, Rudy, and I'm going to run the whole like 100 yards. And let me tell you, when I got to the 50 yard line, I didn't want to run one more yard. Okay. Cause I, it, you're just so tired and you get kind of whiny in a lot of races and you feel like, 
how much further, how much farther is it, you know, and you feel like, you know, it's how much farther because there's a mile marker, but mm -hmm. you just, you know, you kind of, and then the very first race I ever ran uh, was the San Antonio marathon. I was in graduate school and I was running and I had this, like, my whole idea was don't stop. You cannot walk. You cannot walk. You have to keep going. And when I crossed the finish line, I was still running right past like the finish line trying to stop. And this guy caught me and, and he goes, you can stop now. And I go, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> and so you get a little nutty in the head. To, well, at least some of us do. Because, you know, you get so persevering or set on a goal or just because you're so exhausted mm -hmm. that, you know, there's a little disconnect between your brain and your body. Yeah, well, it's like you get those, those muscles start firing. Well, I mean, they've been firing for hours and hours in that same pattern. And it's like all of a sudden you're like, you don't have to do that anymore. And sometimes yeah. they're like, no, this is what we're doing today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So thinking about um, persevering in tough situations, you were telling me that you took a cruise and ran a marathon on a cruise ship? I did. So, <laughs> well, the first thing that happened is I finished all the 50 states and I did it in 15 years, which, so I didn't need, you know, the rest of my life. I, I started doing them and then uh, one year I did 11 in a row and I had three babies during that time. And so, um, you know, it was kind of like, wow, I did that. At the end, I really just wanted to get them done too. I, I was like kind of eager to get that done. And then once that was done, people said, what are you going to do now? And I said, I'm going to sit on the couch and get fat. <laughs> and I did that. <laughs> and then a year later, I got a call from a friend, uh, so long as we can talk about it later if you want, but it was basically to do Antarctica. Mm -hmm. And so she like called up all her crazy friends and they said no. So then she had to dig real deep and go to her real crazy friends. <laughs> and that's how I got roped into that. So after that, you know, people said, well, if you did Antarctica, then you're going to do all the states. So you might as well just do it. And so Actually, the last continent I had was Africa. And I decided to do something that was a little bit rogue. And that's that I did semester at sea. I was a faculty member for um, a semester. We took our family and uh, took them out of school and sailed around the world to 16 countries in Asia and Africa. And so I had, you know, about six places in Africa where I could do it and it was getting kind of late and so I decided what I would do is I would do it in on, on the ship and I would do laps on the ship in Morocco and so that is what we did I actually had to stop in the middle of it to get my passport stamped because um, they come onto the ship and, and stamp your passport but it was 192 loops on the ship. And I did it with um, a very good friend who, uh, whose family, their names are the Belfiores and they are um, Microsoft execs. And they ran and walked it with me. And it was really amazing. <laughs> Crazy, really. Yeah, crazy. the the loop thing. It, it reminds me of this is a much more 
minor non-achievement, but just so um, in college we had this athletic center who, which had this really old school track, like built in the, I don't know, late seventies, early eighties, not a surface that's really up to par nowadays. It's not beat up, but just, it's very slick. It's not really good for running. And every once in a while, one member of the distance team, say during the winter time, would decide, oh, I don't really want to go outside. I'll just run inside. <laughs> and they'd have like, we have, it'd be like, I need to do like a 10 mile run. Like I did an eight mile run inside this building. It's a, it's a 160 meter track. You're going to do eight miles on that. So like, I know a little bit of the insanity of <laughs> doing small, yeah. small laps over and over and over. Um, but, but then you also had, where was the ship moving or was yeah, it? Yeah, it was moving at the See, beginning. Yeah, so you, you got, got that. <laughs> yeah. And I had to remember. And so what I did is I wore a white t-shirt and I put next to the water bottles that we had laid out in the goo, I put a Sharpie. Mm-hmm. And so I had to make a tick every time I came around because there's no way I could have remembered it otherwise. But yeah, it was a little crazy. So if the ship was moving and then it docked into Morocco, the agents came on. At that point in time, we were still running. The ship was just steadied. And then we had to stop for about probably five minutes and go get our passport stamped. And then we just went right back out and did it again as if it were like a five minute rest stop. Now, mm. I have to tell you, like, that's not an, that's the only marathon I've run of my probably 75, 76 marathons that was not official. So right. that's really not an official one, but the other ones all were. So I think I'll find myself back in Mauritius or some African country um, to do, to finish it out at some point in time. But you know, I, I feel like, yeah, if you want to be a bean counter, you can say, well, is that really official? But, you know, the truth is we really did do it. I had about 3,000 or not 3,000, probably 800 students <laughs> observing the craziness. <laughs> so you're having people yell at you the whole, I mean, it's a loop. There's clearly people around. You, nobody's going anywhere. Are you having like, just, just like crowd noise the whole way around the whole time? I wrote on my t-shirt, uh, I can't stop, I'm doing a marathon. Okay. So that they saw it, and then they saw the ticks. And they were cheering, they were coming out and cheering. Yeah. So you, was, so you had like, fun. yeah, so you had some, some like pick-me-ups. It wasn't just like you by yourself running around no. a cruise ship. <laughs> no, no, the Belfiores did it with me. Yeah, yeah. My daughter did, I don't know how many laps she did. She did quite a few, and then... You know, we'd have some people join in for a little bit just to say, hey, how you doing? And I think there were two other college students who did half of the marathon with us. So, you know, there were some people coming and going. And a lot of times that happens in a marathon, too, where, you know, you have a little support on the side, whether it's my husband who will run half the marathon or run the last five miles with me or, you know, I've had my kids join me for the last three miles or my son will do half of it with me now, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. So that, that pick me up is pretty, pretty key. So what I want to know is that once you, I mean, you're, you're done, but as you mentioned, you know, you're, you may end up doing an official one um, back in Africa. Once you're done with that, is it, 
are we on to we do we have to get you on a shuttle or are we doing like different atmospheric levels we get space to do <laughs> no. a marathon no i will say that i thought i was pretty neat until i went to uh antarctica mm -hmm. and then i realized just how plain i was and what i will say is that was a race where it was run out of minnesota by this guy named steve hibbs and it was a 10-day experience and my friend susie seely who is in the uh guinness book of world records for running the fastest 50 states i think she's over 55 or something but she's in there um and she was on the trip and was the one who said i want to do this will you come with me and i said sure we got on that plane and got to antarctica or, and got down to we actually went to south america punta Arenas, and we did two so the day after susie and i did the antarctic one we did one in south america so we could get two continents done in two days the people there were crazy i mean there was a woman there who had summited mount Everest. She was the first woman from Portugal who had done that. There were people who had done like 250 that year. I mean, it was just, there was like somebody who was 14 and she was the first one to do all the continents. And then there was a boy who was like something like 11 and he was the one to do all the continents the fastest. And it was like, you go, oh my God, when does this craziness stop? So I would say that what I want to do now is um so i fell down a mountain stupid and i tore my acl and that was a year and a half ago and it was my first injury ever and i've always said to people look if you have sheer determination and you have good knees and ankles i can help you run a marathon and i still believe that so i had rehab on it and now i've run two marathons afterward and they've been fine they're i'm i'm back I don't think, you know, as we get older, there's another saying, the older we get, the faster we used to run, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you were in college, Jesse, you probably thought, oh, these times are okay. And now you look back and you go, those times were fast. Yeah, I was actually doing, um, I had this workout the other day at the track. My coach had me doing, it was like run on time. He didn't say, you know, run these specific times. He said 200 fast, 200 easy. And we have five miles of that. and the 200 fast time, like I could basically only do it for 200. And then like, you know, I wasn't gonna be able to keep it going. That's my 5k speed. My, my fastest 5k speed is like my 200 fast now. So it's like, I'm a couple of minutes slower from compared to what my fastest 5k was. Yeah. And it's not going to get better. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I have some goals. My husband, um, did the Houston Marathon 20 years in a row. So I was always like, I'm not doing that. Why would I run the same course? I know exactly how far that is and it's far. <laughs> Even though it's the same distance, it just feels like, oh, let me leave my yeah, house Yeah, you got fresh work. scenery, you got like yeah, different people, yeah. different habits. Yeah, there's a lot going yeah. on. So um, now I kind of feel like I want to support the Houston Marathon much more. I've done it, I think, seven or eight times. And I'd like to do that 20 times, not to best him, but to equal him. Mm -hmm. uh, I also really um, like to do marathons in places where I haven't, where I'd like to do them. Uh, I'd like to do Big Sur. I'd like to do the one in um, 
St. George's in Utah that's supposed to be downhill the whole way. I like, I, we have a place in Boulder. I'd like to do the Boulder Reservoir. So kind of like, I'd like to do Paris, you know, and see the city. So those are some of the things I'd like to do. And then I like to do things with first timers still. Like it's still exciting to me because when you run a marathon with a person, you bond with them forever. Like they remember it. And it's really, that's a really special feeling. So those are some of the things. Yeah, I, there was, um, I've made this shirt. There was a particular year of guys in college that we got along so well. And, you know, there's a saying that blood is thicker than water. So I had made up the saying that miles are as thick as blood. And that was our shirt for that year. Because it really yes. is like, that's like, that's your, you know, I mean, that's your family. You know, we were together every, pretty much every single day, all, just about seven days a week you know, all year, it's a very intense thing. Um, and yeah, there's definitely a bond there that you, you don't find, you know, in other settings. I think that's just like the runner community too. Like I, I'm very fond of the runners I've met. I think, you know, of course there's so much heterogeneity in any group but I would say these are people who aren't putting on a whole lot of makeup they're going out and they're working hard there's a lot of like therapy that we get on our long runs you know um, you're so tired that you just kind of got to give it up and tell the truth <laughs> mm -hmm. and there's a lot of humility you know and marathon runners are a special breed because they're really determined people. There's a lot of type A, you know, they're just kind of, um, it's sort of to me a way of life. Like I think of teaching, I think of my career, I think of my life as sort of, there's some miles that are hard and there's some that are easy. There's some that are uphill. There's some that are downhill. There's some surprises around the corner and it's, it's really about the journey and not just about the end point. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if, because you, you know, I'll say dissect, but study and dissect people, you know, I'm being a, a little facetious with that word, but um, I wonder, do you ever, when you meet all of these, I'll say extraordinary individuals, you're talking about all the people you met in Antarctica, do you ever, look at them and talk to them and try to like get inside their heads and figure out what it is that motivates all of these people? Um, I think a little bit different. Like, I think it makes me think that every single person is in there. Like one of my favorite shows growing up was biography. I just loved it. And I think that our job, or at least my job is to figure out what makes you special. Like, what can you teach me? Like every person can teach us something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've been talking about me a whole time, a whole lot. And, you know, one of the things I'm going to do is watch, learn as much as I can about you because I like to learn about that. And I think um, for them, it's like what's interesting about them is a little bit outward facing, more outward facing than it is than some people. So, you know, I don't think I'm... I don't think I'm arrogant, but I also don't think I'm the most humble person you've ever met. And so I'd say people who get on a plane and go to Antarctica are kind of putting themselves out there. So their stories are pretty clear, right? And mm -hmm. when you go around rooms and you say in that same indiv rugged individualistic spirit, um, here's something unique about me. 
it's easy to say, oh, that's crazy. That's what makes you tick. I think it's more of a challenge or more exciting to take the average person that isn't like that and to say, so what's pretty spectacular about you? And I think when you dig deep enough, you find, wow, they got some, you know, like the guy down the street, he grew up with monkeys, like in his house. I'm like, what? That's like crazy, you know? You know, I mean, that's just outrageous. The other person down the street, my next door neighbor grew up 20 minutes from me in Wisconsin. And here we are in this different state. So it's like, and it's not just me focused, but it's like each person is a biography and a narrative. And if you're willing to put enough time in, there's so many interesting things to find out about every person and to learn from. I, this is a little bit of a divergence, but thinking about narratives and people, I always think about like, there's this convergence of like the story we tell ourselves about who we are versus the story that other people think is our story. Um, do you see, like, when you see these things, do you, does it help you kind of reconcile the story that you have about that person to the, to the story that they tell themselves about themselves? If that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm going to answer that a little tiny differently and say, that's a really good, like there's something in psychology that's very similar to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And it's called um, the self as a narrative. So there's sort of this, like, here are the experiences that like, if I said to you, how did you get involved in this podcast? You could say, oh, well, I always wanted to do podcasts. I like to talk, blah, 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 blah. And that's the story that's been woven because it kind of makes sense. Right. And it's, and, and people don't really want to hear, well, okay, so this is the real random events that happened that led me to this thing. So we kind of tell over and over our narratives and they become a little bit, um, uh, embellished. they get better. Yeah, they get embellished or maybe we just have, like, we get better storytellers. We're better storytellers, yeah. right? Yeah. So we go, well, that's not really that relevant. Let's drop that off. And that's kind of interesting. And so let's add that to it. And so people sometimes describe the self as a narrative. So it's like how we tell our story, our narrative is a reflection of ourself. And I, I think that's kind of an interesting sort of thing is how people talk and explain how they got, you know, just stories they tell is really a reflection of themselves. Um, if I think of how, you know, my story and my narrative, I'd say, you know, I can make it consistent. It's really a lot of random coincidences. It's a lot of people who handed me off to guardian light, you know, guardians people who allowed me to stand on their shoulders, a lot of really random luck. And, and I'm looking forward, like, I'm not looking back. I'm looking at, yeah, but I still have so much to do. Like, you know, oh, yeah, I have those publications in 2019. But that was last year. What do you got this year? And, you know, what you said, which is, well, what are you going to do now? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, now that you've done this, are you going to go out into space and do that? And I'm, I'm like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking that too. Like I, I'm thinking I got to do these races. So I think, you know, there's some people who write their narrative looking backward and that makes me a little sad because I like to think forward and there's some who are really in the present and can be very chill about it. Like whatever comes, whatever comes, you know, and, and then there's some people who are like, well, I got to 
I got to keep achieving and I got to keep doing things. And, and that's probably me. And I don't know that that's the best place to be too. Maybe the yeah. one in the, maybe the present is the best one. <laughs> the present is probably the toughest though. And that's what the whole mindfulness thing is about, right? It's like being here right now in this moment, not worrying about what happened or what's going to happen or what you think is going to happen. Just being right here. But it, the, I wish, uh, Peter Sage, there we go. Uh, he's a serial entrepreneur. He talks about, so my, as I mentioned, my, one of my undergrad majors is math. The other one was psychology. Um, cause I'm ridiculous. And what are you gonna do with those two majors? Um, <laughs> but so I'm interested in people, but just like the way he presented it is that what I mentioned, the, the idea that there are stories we tell ourselves about who we are and, the source of our stress is when our actual story diverges from our expectations of reality. Yes. So Agreed. It, you're right. So it's like, you know, I don't often get the chance to spe you know, speak to <laughs> professors of psychology anymore. So it's like, pick your brain a little bit while we're here, even though it's a little bit of a divergence. Um, so uh, we'll say you're, you're, average people, you know, in quotes, of course. So if you're listening, you're not listening to the video version, I'm doing air quotes. Um, but the, the average people that don't necessarily stand out with their heart on their sleeve about who they are and have all their badges on their uniforms, you know, do you, do their stories seem to get in the way of what you think could be their potential? Yeah. I mean, I think, like just a couple of things like I always think that class reunions are kind of a sad idea for some reason and I think it's because I want to believe that everybody did really well and is self-actualized and doing great and sometimes people get old and I don't mean old I, I am actually using old in a pejorative sense and that's, that's a shame. I shouldn't do that. But I mean, like, they're, they're 25 or 35, and they're old, meaning, like, they've kind of given up. They're, they're content. Maybe, maybe that's, and I don't mean content either. They've just given up on themselves without mm -hmm. realizing their potential or their specialness, without saying, hey, I can do something. It's kind of like they're just, they're, they're living and going through the motions. And if they are content, I think that's wonderful. I don't see that content on some of them. And so I see this kind of, yeah, uh, wasn't I great in high school? Or yeah, those were the days. And I'm like, those were the days, like we're looking forward, we're still getting better. And it's that kind of youthful sort of focus on ourselves as, we can improve ourselves that I think I've always had. And maybe it's also working with students and, you know, working with these students who are about to go out and change the world. It rubs up off on you. You know, I once got to see um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu give a talk and he gave this talk. He got on the ship in Mauritius um, while we were traveling to South Africa. And these people were like, what are you doing on this ship at 88 years of age talking to these young students? Like you're, you, you've done it all. You got a Nobel Peace Prize. Like, what are you doing on the ship? 
And he says, I want to talk to as many young people as possible because they're the future. They can make the changes. And I remember sitting there as like, I don't know, I was like 40 something. And I'm like, oh, am I one of the young people too? Like, are you talking to me? You know, and I, I think that like, so I don't mean the, the, the old in a pejorative sense. I mean, stay woke, stay willing to change, stay mm-hmm. youthful in your minds, believe that you're still green and that you, no matter your age, like that there's still potential for you to be all that you can be, you know? Well, that sounds like the military, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like the, there's the idea about beginner's mind, right? Which I'm sure you've heard that. Or it's like, even if you are like an expert, the best experts still have beginner's mind where they're, they don't, yeah. in, they don't, they don't lift themselves up as like, I'm this expert. It's like, like you mentioned at the very beginning, each, well, not in the beginning, but earlier, everybody has something you can learn from them. I mean, that's the essence of beginner's mind is you're not, you know, I obviously we've got the nice read off for you and you've got a CV as long as a book, but you're not like, well, I'm hot shit. Just look at me. It's no, I want to learn from you. Like that's the whole thing, right? Yeah. Is figuring out what can I still learn? Not I already know it all, but you know, you're talking about, and I'm not sure how to classify it else I, either old or giving up or I, I don't think content is quite right, but I'll see that from, you know, people I went to high school with on social media who, uh, and this is often the, like the art friends that I had that maybe they went to college for art or they, you know, they really gave everything that they could for this dream. And it, it to this point hasn't panned out how they want it to. And that isn't to say that it won't. I have no idea. Um, but they're not fulfilled or, or they're not where they expected to be. And they'll say something like, you know, I wish I could start over or I, I should have done something different or something like that. But, but without the idea of, well, you can start over. Like, it's going to be painful. It's going to be arduous, just like it was the first time but you can start over. And I, I can't remember where I first came across this advice. The idea, I think it was somebody, a, a random forum posting on the internet, probably um, speaking to their child about whether they wanted to become a doctor. Their kid was considering, do I try to go to medical school? It's so much school. I'm going to be almost 30 by the time I'm done with school. And their parents said to them, well, you're going to be 30 whether you go to medical school or not. So do you want to be a doctor when you're 30 or do you just want to be 30? You know, and I think about that same thing for the people that say, I wish I had done something else. It's like, okay, so maybe things didn't work out how you wanted them to. Is there something else you want to do? Like you're going to get older whether you pursue that thing or not. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And you know what? I'm going to use like a metaphor I used before, which is they're looking backwards. So Mm -hmm. it's really not about age. It's not about content because there's some people who are just happy not having, you know, they, they didn't get the art thing. They worked their heart out. They found something else. They're really like enjoying life and, and that's great. But it's the people who are still looking backward and living their life through looking backwards of should have, could have, wish wish I had oh that was the best and it's never going to get better that I'm like oh like that's like 
bad. That's that, no, you can do better than that. Like, you know, and it's not just an achievement. Sometimes I feel like I'm too achievement oriented. It's mm. not about that. It's about just believing that you can keep learning and growing. Well, I think along with that, and you're welcome to correct me at any point, is it, it you, you know, you mentioned um, being achievement oriented, which I'm very much that way, but it, there's also all these non-achievement aspects of life to be enjoyed and being in the present, you know, just right now where, yeah, okay. So you, there's the trope about, you know, the high school football star, that was his peak, you know, the high school yeah. quarterback and he yeah. didn't go to college and like, that was the highlight. And he's all, you know, goes to the class reunion. He's like, remember when I threw that 50 yard touchdown to Ricky and everybody cheered. It's like, Oh yeah, we remember it, but what have you done since then? But it's like, okay. So he didn't become a college or even pro football player, but like maybe he has a family and like he can enjoy time with his kids and there's, or, or his spouse or whatever, even if he doesn't have kids, doesn't matter. Um, There's so many other aspects. Maybe he likes woodworking and, and really enjoys building chairs yeah, just absolutely. enjoy, like, do your, do your thing, you know, like, enjoy building thing. chairs. You don't even have to be the best chair maker. You could be a terrible chair maker, but, but if you're present and you're enjoying that thing, it, you're no longer looking back to that 50 yard touchdown pass that you threw 30 years ago. It's like, it's just, I'm enjoying shaving wood right now. And that's, that's enough, you know? Yeah. And I would just say, give some chairs to some other people too. Right, right. Because <laughs> right. to me, it's always, again, about paying it forward and making it a little bit better for the next generation or for right. the people around you. Sharing the wealth. Um, so as we start to run down a little bit on time, there's a, a question I'm asking everybody this year because it kind of transects all my guests. Um, I will ask you the same. What do you think the purpose of sport is? Oh, gosh, I don't think it's one single thing. I think, you know, I always tell my kids, like, my kids will laugh if they hear this. I always say your body is a temple. You know, your body is a temple. And what we want to do is we want to really eat well and be conscious and thoughtful and mindful of what we're putting into our bodies. And we also want to exercise our bodies. And we want to really think about um, our bodies not just as adornment, so something beautiful, but also as a tool. And so I think of sports as a way to um, refine that tool or to enjoy and see your tool in action. So I always, I've done quite a few uh, triathlons. And now as I get older, I realize I can't do that anymore because there's too many things you have to remember to bring to a triathlon. (laughs) There are a lot of things. There are a lot of things. Um, But my husband and I, for our wedding, for this is like our wedding um, uh, where we went, okay? Our honeymoon was the Ironman um, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a silly, silly thing. But I always start these, I, these, these triathlons and these marathons in something that's not, that, that's sort of 
um, more scattily, like I'm more scattily clothes. I have like a, a jog bra on and, and some shorty shorts. And I always get at the starting line and I look around and I feel that thing that a lot of us feel, whether we're women or men, which is, oh, look at that body. That's so much better than me. They're going to win. Oh my God. I'm yeah. like so fatty fat, blah, blah, blah. And then I get running, right? And then I get out of the water and I'm transitioning. And then I'm on the bike and my legs are working. And I start transitioning from this belief of body is adornment to body is tool. So that at the end of the triathlon or at the marathon, I don't care who's looking at me. I couldn't care less because my body just did something amazing. And I think sports has the ability to really help women in particular with that sort of change in mindset of, oh, I'm fat. Oh, this doesn't, this, da, 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 to saying, no, my body's a tool. Like I can swim in the ocean. I can, you know, jump over the hurdle. I can run. And, you know, we didn't talk a whole lot about marathoning, but marathoning when it's going well and when you really don't feel and there's been some races where I felt runners high and I didn't feel the bonk and that's when you just feel like man this is such a great body I have and no it's not perfect by any model standard but look what it's allowing me to do and sports to me at least part of a big part of it for me is is treating your body like a temple and realizing that it's your temple and this is the outlet that you're going to use it to perform in. There's a whole other rabbit hole we can get down to, but as we're, like I said, we're running out of time. That's the bad thing about time constraints is we, we could go in a whole other rabbit hole, which is kind of your specialty in terms of diversity and stuff. I guess I will say we'll run a little over time if you don't mind. Not a bit. Um, I noticed one of the things I noticed, it started when I was in high school. Um, one of my high school coaches, he coaches uh, girls swim, and then he also coaches cross country and then distance and track. And his philosophy is I, I treat the girls the same as I treat the guys. Like the, a workout is a workout. Um, and he, But what we noticed is that there are more and more women coming out, for at least those sports in particular, and less guys coming out. And I'm not quite sure why. I mean, it's, it's, which is awesome that we're getting more women come out, but then we're also somehow losing the guys. I don't know if they're going to football. Maybe that's what's happening. But it's, it's I don't know, just a, kind of an interesting observation. I don't, I, I don't really have any like super deep thoughts about it, but I don't know if you kind of noticed that trend. I haven't, but I'm going to look for it. I mean, I will say, I think that like, okay, so <laughs> we hadn't done a triathlon in a long time. And I was trying to figure out what to get my husband for Christmas. So I said, Hey, honey, we're going to this Merry Christmas. We're going to do a, a half Ironman. <laughs> this is like 15, 20 years after we did our first one. Mm -hmm. And so we go and do it. And we are just incredulous about how the sport has changed and we do see a lot more women but this at least in um running and in um triathlons 
you know, the sport used to be very male dominated. You could go back to the Boston Marathon where they pulled Catherine Swift off the course, like yeah. women weren't allowed to run. So I think for me, I was just amazed at the sheer number entirely. And the fact that my little stealth black bomber, I used to call it, was so um, aerodynamically like um, outdone by all the new gadgets and by all the people zipping past. <laughs> you know, that to me was the most shocking is just how everybody is doing the sport of marathoning. Like, you know, there used to be marathons where you would, of course you'd get into it. And now there's lotteries because so many people are doing it. And I think there's certainly, for me, I guess what I see is the men are, are not going down, but the women are going up so much that it may look like the percentages are going down. But that's to me great because we know for women it's, and for men, uh, sports are such a self-esteem built. They can be, they can also be a, a detriment too, but they're to, to a large extent, they're a self-esteem builder. Yeah. Well, with, in my particular case or not in my case, but the observation of my coach, it may be, there, there may be socioeconomic factors at play. Cause like, like the high school I went to is in a kind of a weird cross section um, anywhere. Like I, I would say now I would have to ask him, but I would say probably half the school is on free lunch. And, and then you also have, um, so I'm in Kansas city. So houses aren't terribly expensive, but you'll also have kids who have parents who live in $300,000 houses, which is above the median price for Kansas city. So you have this kind of wide cross section, but generally speaking, economically, the area is kind of, I'll say gone down, but just the way the district has shifted, it's gotten more um, kids in poverty um, or, you know, if, uh, parents who don't earn as much. So I kind of wonder if that's a factor as well, whether they, you know, maybe they're going, out and doing jobs after school instead of sports or, you know, that kind of stuff with how that factors into it. Um, but I know like with him, he has a history of, he, he grew up in, in a, like his parents didn't make anything basically. And he ended up going to Harvard and he was almost had the, Missouri state mile record. The only reason he doesn't have it is because he was beat in that race by the guy who does have it. Um, but he has a history of, you know, from his kind of background to running, to building a company, selling it. He's basically retired. He teaches because he wants to and mentors kids think about giving back to the next generation. Um, he has a history of taking like his swimmers. He, he just says, these are my blue collar girls. And, you know, getting them often, uh, a, a portion of them to, you know, college scholarships where maybe they didn't have opportunities otherwise. And so I, I kind of wonder if, too, it's like the girls seeing, like, this could be an opportunity for me to go to college where it may be more difficult to, uh, you know, otherwise. Yeah, I would definitely say that, you know, um, one of my colleagues, Ruth Turley, does work on um, how the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And, you know, one of them is just how much wealthy people can afford enrichment programs mm -hmm. for their kids, right? And part of enrichment programs is, you know, um, sporting teams that are city leagues and things like that. And I know we put our daughter in a volleyball league 
and they told me the amount and I go, wow, for a second there, I thought you meant that was for her individually, but I get it. It's for the whole team. You just gave me a heart attack. And they said, oh no, it, it is for her individually. And I was like, are we buying a building? Like, what are we doing? And it's just not a price that people can afford. And this is a feeder for kids who want to play, you know, college volleyball. And yes, you can go to a high school and do really exceptionally well, but that's a school where it's one season and this enrichment program is all year long. And if we have the 10,000 hours Chicksamahali rule, again, it's kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, of course it makes sense that economics are gonna play a role in who gets ahead. And that's really unfortunate. Yeah. Before we get too far down this rabbit hole, maybe I have to have, have you back on later another time. We'll, we'll get farther down this rabbit hole. Um, Nikki, if you want to see research, find you, see what you're up to, where can they figure out where you are and kind of what's the most recent stuff that you're doing? Yeah, so I have a web page. If you go to, so um, my last name is H-E-B-L. And if you just type in H-E-B-L, you're not going to find too many people. It's a really weird last name. And uh, if you type Rice University, you'll find me. You'll see my web page. I have, I have a list of the marathons I've done for all the fun, the people who are really interested in how fast does she run. And I'll tell you, it's not that fast. My fastest time was a 747 pace, which I'm proud of, but I call myself a hamburger and I've run with some real steaks. So that's my metaphor for that. Sure. So yes, done the Boston lots of times, but I have a little thing next to each of the races that tell you who I did it with, or I say like one little comment about it. And, and that's on my webpage. If you're interested in reading about research on diversity and discrimination and gender issues, there's a research page. Um, there's sort of a lab page to see uh, who I'm training and where the alumni are located, um, that you can find me there. And of course, if you're interested in questions, you can always email me at hebel at rice.edu. And I would love to return as your guest anytime. I love to talk about sports. I love to talk about marathoning. And basically, I just love to talk. <laughs> it's, it's, it's dangerous when you get two talkers together. So that's why I was like, I kept having to like watch my clock. I'm like, how are we doing? Anyway. Um, we'll end there for today, at least. We'll probably talk in the future, but thanks for spending time with me. You're welcome.